This podcast is brought to you by Bruner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit lizbruner.com and take your skills to the next level. My guest was once a broke, single teenage mom, a former stripper and a victim of domestic violence who relied on food stamps for groceries. Today, she runs her own business that brings in millions of dollars a year. How'd she do it? She took ownership of her life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and the transformation my guest has made in her life is remarkable. Andrea Isabel Lucas is the CEO and founder of Bar & Soul, a boutique chain of innovative yoga and bar studios. Andrea, welcome to my podcast. I'm so happy to have you joining me today. Thank you, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. What does it mean to take ownership of your life? I think ultimately what it means is owning what it is that you really want for yourself Mm -hmm. and then refusing to let anything stand in the way of going after the life that you really want to have. Mm -hmm. Well said. And certainly learning to take ownership of your own life came at a huge cost. And at a point when you say you hit rock bottom, you were in an abusive relationship, and you ended up pounding on a neighbor's door in the middle of the night and had to be taken to the emergency room. What happened? I was in a what I would like to just call kind of a low-grade, miserable relationship that I probably would have stayed in for a lot longer. So I've always felt somewhat grateful to have had a rock bottom moment to kind of force me to take action and make change in my life. But things got unexpectedly violent. I did end up in the emergency room and a really pivotal moment for me is when I called home the next day to tell my parents about what had happened. And my father's response was with such sadness and empathy, but his response was, what are you going to do? You can't leave. And I don't have any anger about that today. I have only sympathy really to um, think that that was the best he could imagine was possible Mm -hmm. for his child. But it was in that moment that I knew nobody was coming to get me out of this mess. Nobody was going to fix it for me. Nobody was going to save me. And I was going to have to figure out how to get out of this on my own. I was going to have to take ownership myself if I wanted something better. And you were going to have to give yourself permission to walk away, which is something your dad, it sounds like, I mean, as devastating as it was for him to say that, that was the pivot point in some respects. Things kind of really became crystal clear for you. It really did. And obviously that his perspective was influenced by what seemed possible to him based on his life experience and the opportunities he hadn't had himself. It definitely was very eye-opening that permission was not going to come from outside of me. It was going to have to come from within. You talk a lot about all of those experiences in your wonderful book, which is called Own It All. How to Stop Waiting for Change and Start Creating It Because Your Life Belongs to You. What a great title. You also share that in some respects, you felt ashamed that you had gotten yourself into this abusive situation. You felt exposed, embarrassed, even humiliated at the choices that you had made. And I think that there are a lot of women who have found themselves in a similar situation and feel the very same way. Wouldn't you think so? I really do. And it breaks my heart when I hear others expressing it because I've had people in my life who are in not as bad situations as I was, but just very unhappy in their marriages. 
but the thought of a divorce makes them feel so guilty and so ashamed and like they should have done better by their kids or just like a failure. And I think a lot of that is because we just don't talk about the things that we find embarrassing or that we feel ashamed of. When I introduce myself at, you know, if I'm speaking at an event or something like that, or when I write my bio, I do mention trauma survivor. I do mention working at a strip club or being a teen mom because I want people to know that there's a lot more to the backstory before I was what we would consider successful. (laughs) And I think that's true for most people. It's just not commonly spoken about. And that's one of the things that I loved about your book is the vulnerability and authenticity and honesty with which you shared all of your stories. You give yourself this permission to walk away. How did you get out and change your life? How did you begin that new life for yourself? I developed a motto over time, not on purpose, but just through trial and error called take the biggest risk you can stomach for today. Yes. It was just one baby step at a time. There were many times along the way that if I had gotten too overwhelmed by the bigness of my goals, even when originally that goal was just getting out of that relationship and starting over, I felt defeated before I even began. Mm -hmm. You know, there are many, many parts along the way for me where a risk felt way too big, too scary. I didn't feel ready or I didn't feel worthy. I had to just take the next step that was available to me that I could actually bring myself to do. And one just would continue to lead to another. And here we are. There's a a saying about going up that spiral staircase and you can only see the next step in front of you. You really can't see all the way to the top and you don't know what's around the corner, but it is just taking that next step. Exactly. I know from reading your book that once you had managed to get yourself out of that situation, there were many years where you blamed your ex completely and nobody would blame you for that. But then you went to a conference and the facilitator asked a very important question. What role did you play? And you write that you were indignant at that question but that you eventually understood what the facilitator was asking. What was he asking of all of you? What he was asking is for us to take responsibility for our lives, regardless of whatever had happened to us. And really what he was looking for was to empower us, Mm -hmm. to not feel like we're at the mercy of other people, our circumstances, the odds that might've been stacked against us, or whatever things that we might have felt a victim of, or been a victim of, while many people would probably agree, yes, that shouldn't have happened to you, or you didn't deserve that to happen, or any of those things. There is something really powerful about saying, okay, that happened, and I don't have to let that dictate the rest of my life. I can take responsibility for what I do have control over. And even looking back, I think what the facilitator was looking for me to see is there actually were things I had control over that I could say, okay, yeah, some of my choices actually led to me being here. Not that everything was my fault. It wasn't about laying blame or being upset with myself. It was just about seeing I had more power than maybe I was willing to admit. And that going forward, all the power was with me for what I was going to do next. My next step is always in my hands. It's so interesting. And I love this conversation about responsibility because I also had Jack Canfield on as one of my podcast guests. And one of the things he said during that show was that we each have to take 100% responsibility 
of where we are in our life. We either created it or we allowed it to be. And I remember when I first heard him say that, I'm like, but, 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 but I was indignant as well. But there is so much truth to it. And you just touched on it is we have more power than perhaps we are really willing to own and take advantage of. And so I love that conversation. Some things we certainly didn't choose. Correct. There are certain systemic things or certain things you might have been born with that you didn't have power over to change. And to be responsible for your life is to say that no matter what, I accept where I am and I will choose powerfully where I go from here, from this situation that I have. It's up to me. I can't wait for permission from someone else. I can't wait for someone else to come and fix it or be mad that they haven't. What I have control over is my next move. It's that choice. I love that. Well, along the way, you're pregnant with your second child and you discover bar. I think you need to explain to everyone what bar is because not everyone in our audience may know, but what is it and what did it do for you when you first learned about bar? Bar is an exercise method. It was originally created by a woman named Lottie Burke around the same time as Joseph Pilates. So most of us have heard of Pilates. Bar is actually a very similar type of exercise method. It's a strength and stretch method that uses your own body weight resistance to really challenge you. And it does, it really challenges you. It draws from dance. There's a lot of core strength built into it, stretching, and it's a very mindful type of movement. It's something that's easy on your joints, but really challenges your body. And it challenges you mentally as well as physically because it's very endurance based. So while you might only be using body weight, you might be holding a challenging position for much longer than <laughs> is comfortable to do. So it really builds mental toughness at the same time as building physical strength. I think what it did for me, for one thing, it totally got me out of my head yes. for an hour at a time. Whenever I went into class, I just got to put my worries away and be distracted from them for a while. And they always seemed a little smaller when I would yeah. walk out of that class. But I think it also showed me that I had the power to transform myself physically, which led to me realizing that I had the power to transform myself on the inside as well. So that whole journey set you on a new path and you end up becoming a master bar teacher trainer. You become a manager of Exhale, which is a very prominent bar studio, which I'm sure a lot of people know that name. And yet, you somewhere along the way started to lose your passion and you found a way to create your own kind of fitness program. And it's an award-winning program, I might add, called Bar and Soul. Now, some people have taken bar classes. Some people have taken yoga classes. How do you describe what Bar and Soul is and what's the difference between bar and yoga? I always felt like I had so much more to share with the students than just a workout. And there was kind of this accepted things socially where yoga teachers were wise and they shared things beyond just exercise. <laughs> but fitness instructors were just fitness instructors and they were supposed to just count to eight and tell you what to do next. I was really jealous of the yoga teachers who got to speak to something deeper. So I became a yoga teacher and I loved that. And I thought, well, why can't we just do this in the bar classes? I love this fitness methodology and I just want to add more of the philosophy and the soul piece to it. Bar and Soul is my way of having a workout that really acknowledges how intelligent, deep, and multifaceted the students in the room are, and that they can benefit from being in a culture of empowerment that goes beyond just physical movements. When did you realize that you were an entrepreneur at heart, and you were going to launch your own studios? 
Actually, I had a student of mine. She's an executive coach, and she had me do this basically a personality test. That's an oversimplification. <laughs> My results said that I was very well suited to entrepreneurship. I was someone who was going to want to keep starting new things and handing them off so that I could start new things. And up to that point, I actually thought that that was some kind of a character flaw or that it made me flaky or I was, <laughs> I was like, what's the matter with me? Why don't I appreciate this awesome job that I have and this great career that I have? And even in that conversation with her, I didn't see myself yet as an entrepreneur. So I actually was kind of argumentative about it. Like, no, I don't, I don't, you know, I thought that was for people who had, you know, family money or, or some other kind of backing to be able to take the big risks of entrepreneurship. But I let her message sink in over time and it did. And I realized, oh, okay, if you know this about yourself, that you're going to love to start new things, this can be a strength and you can create a career around that. I love that. But I have to admit, I mean, as someone who started her own business, you started your own business. You write in your book that the thought of starting a business gave you nightmares. So mm -hmm. how did you finally make that leap and say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start my business because it is a scary prospect. I think that I was feeling some pressure to move soon because Bar went from underground to mainstream around the time that I started Bar and Soul. So I had kind of been an early adopter of this method that was somewhat underground. And then it got really <laughs> popular around 2012-ish. And I just thought, wow, I happen to be a master trainer in this method that is now really in demand, but not yet very widespread. So that did light a fire under me. I probably wouldn't have taken action quite as quickly. But knowing that, I also realized, I saw this quote that said, if you want to achieve greatness, stop asking for permission. Yes. And I realized, oh, shoot, I have wonderful mentors and bosses here who I love a lot and they love me, but why would they call me up and say, you know what, Andrea, you should really go off on your own and do your own thing. That wasn't going to happen. I was going to have to give myself that permission yeah. to leave the security of that full-time job to start my own thing. And I started as small and risk-free as possible, with very low overhead. And again, I just took those baby steps each time an opportunity came my way that I felt I had the stomach for. And it all unfolds in your book. And I encourage people to read it because it's an amazing, interesting story how these doors Thank opened you. for you when you're like, wait a minute, I'm not sure I'm ready to walk through them. But they're all chronicled in your book. As we are publishing this episode, we are at a time of year, a new year. A lot of people like to make resolutions, and one of them obviously is often getting healthy or losing weight, and no doubt you've heard a hundred million excuses of why people can't do either. So briefly, can you give us some advice of what we can do to achieve either of those goals as we look into the new year? My number one piece of advice, and this is often people's favorite part of the book, is when it comes to your health and well-being, the best thing you could do is the bare minimum. And people love to hear that because <laughs> it sounds doable and that's because it is. Right. You know, when we get over excited and we set goals that would require a huge lifestyle change or a lot of willpower, they are really hard to follow through on. So yeah. habit science, behavior science, what we know is that we need to start small and build on each layer that we have. Whatever feels like no matter what else, I could get 10 minutes of movement every single day. If that is truly attainable, then that is a good bare minimum to start with. And when you are nailing that, that's when you're ready to add on and make your next goal a little bit bigger. Choosing fitness that is actually fun for you. People ask me, what is the best workout? 
it doesn't matter scientifically what the best workout is. According to behavior science, it matters how well you like it because are you going to be able to stick with it beyond I should be doing this thing because that doesn't stay motivating for very long. You got to want to do it, first of all, even if it's 10 minutes. And I think, you know, to your point, when you nail those 10 minutes, it's like, I think you start to feel a little better about yourself. There's a little bit of confidence that comes into play and you're like, okay, I can maybe do 12 minutes. Maybe I do 15 minutes. So it all compounds, which is great. Well, today you are a prominent thought leader in this branch of the fitness world. You've been featured in Forbes, Lululemon Athletica, Entrepreneur, The Huffington Post, Boston Magazine, just to name a few. And you describe your book, Own It All, as part manifesto, part workbook, and part interview collaborations. I would agree with all three of those. Why did you write this book and what do you want people to take away from reading it? I knew I wanted to be a writer way before I ever thought I would get into fitness. So for me, it was a huge bucket list thing. And I was just so proud to be able to finally birth a book into the world in 2019 when I did this. So that's part of it. Part of it is because, again, for that exact same reason, there's so much you can convey and express in a fitness class, even if it's a really deep and soulful fitness class or a workshop or a blog post or a podcast episode, you can say a lot. And you can say a whole lot in a book. (laughs) So so I really wanted to share the tools and the strategies that had caused breakthroughs for me Mm -hmm. in my life. I wanted to make sure others had access to that. I really wanted anyone who might be at their own rock bottom, or doubting their own potential to hear my story and to perhaps see a bit of themselves in it and feel inspired to be able to take action to have the life and the full self-expression that is unique to them. In your last chapter, you say that one's legacy is something we choose, not find or discover. What do you mean and what is your legacy? I think that searching for something outside of ourselves for some right answer of what we're here for what we're supposed to be doing with our lives there's really no one who has the authority to decide that for you you think about like the academy awards there's no academy for your worthiness (laughs) there's no academy for your legacy there's nowhere you can check and say hey do i deserve to have this do i deserve to do this or why am i here you need to create that for yourself Mm -hmm. and when you do it gives you a why to make the scary things worth it and to give you the motivation to push yourself, to put yourself out there when maybe you're worried about failing or looking silly. For me personally, I really want to see people empowered and fully self-expressed. I want to help people transform. I think there are all sorts of reasons culturally why a lot of us, especially women, hold ourselves back from our full self-expression and from having the lives that our full potential, in a way, the dignity that we deserve to be able to be fully expressed in this lifetime. So for me, really, my why is helping to empower others to live their lives as fully self-expressed as possible. And what that does for me is if I'm at an event, and I'm getting ready to step on stage, and I'm feeling nervous, and I have butterflies, I'm able to say to myself, this isn't about you, Andrea, like, someone out there needs to hear what you have to say, Mm -hmm. just get up there and be willing to mess up or look stupid because there's a greater why behind it. This journey that you have been on has taken you from the depths of despair to some of your greatest highs. What is your greatest success, your greatest achievement to date? Being as at peace as I am with what is, 
with my life exactly where it is, with the things that have happened before, with the things about the world that maybe I don't still love and I would like to change, but being able to be in a good place with myself. Because again, a lot of people either get into abusive relationships or don't leave them because of some challenge that they have with their own worthiness. Mm -hmm. So to have transformed my life from being there to where I am today is really, really huge. Obviously, my relationships with my kids are the most important ones in the world to me. And I think that the example that I've been able to set of loving myself is something that I've been able to model for them. And that's, that's huge. It is huge. If you'd like to learn more about Andrea's book, which is titled Own It All, How to Stop Waiting for Change and Start Creating It Because Your Life Belongs to You. You can also learn about her Bar and Soul Studios, and all you need to do is go to her website, which is barsoul.com. That's B-A-R-R-E-S-O-U-L.com. Andrea, thank you so much for showing us that no matter where our lives began, we're all capable of leaving a positive mark on the world, and sometimes it's simply giving ourselves permission to own our power and to make that choice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so great to chat with you. Lovely to chat with you as well. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. And remember, there is only one person who has the key to unlock the greatness in you, and that is you. And when you do, you can live your best life. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.